bow here in your presence, Lord. I want to thank you for this privilege that you give us to come and to pray. And Father, I pray that each one of us has met you here this morning as we have lifted others up in prayer, those in special needs. And Father, just uh, those that are sick, those that are needing a healing touch. Father, I pray for these and I lift them up. I want to Remember Frankie May as she's having surgery this week that you would protect her, Lord, through this. I pray for Doyle as he's dealing with his heart issues that, Father, you would help the doctors to be able to straighten this out and get him back to good health again. And, Father, I lift up Megan Edwards who had an accident this week and was pregnant. and Just pray, uh, Lord, for her continued safety and thank you for your protection. Lord, guard, guard these folks. I pray for these prayers that are being lifted up that you would answer, Father, that you would respond to these. And Lord, as we look into your word now, I pray that you would begin to change our hearts and mold us to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? I almost forgot to put my little microphone on. I walked up here and started praying. I didn't have a microphone on my ear up here, so... Um, it just goes to show you distracted and all kind of things happen. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, you know, it's raining out there and we've got a metal roof. So if it gets too loud, uh, Dave, turn me up. Okay. So I'm not going to want to have to compete against the rain. You know, I, I know that all of us would admit that the pace of life that we live today is so much different than it was when we were kids with our parents. And, you know, I can remember on a Sunday afternoon, for example, after church, we'd all go back and all the families would get together and we'd have lunch together. There weren't any stores open. Remember the blue laws and uh, things closed on Sundays. And we'd have lunch together. We usually always make homemade ice cream, sit out on the porch and, and just talk. And I'd listen to, the, to these adults talking. And pretty soon you start seeing them nod off, you know, sitting there on the porch. They start nodding off. And we'd keep talking. It didn't matter if they went to sleep or not. That's just the way things were. It was just a slower pace of life. You know, today it seems like that Sundays you get up late. You may not even go to church. Go eat fast food. And some of you, you know, we go back to work again. Um, You don't have any time for people. And the weekdays are no better. It seems to be worse. And it just seems like more and more we're in this uh, mechanized world that we live in. We just don't have time for relationships. We don't have time to slow down. We don't have time just to sit and think, uh, let alone talk sometimes. The modern way of thinking is this, that time is money, and you need to cram all the all that you can cram into the time that you've been given, so don't waste any of it. You start early, you work late, you take work home if you have to. You make phone calls while you're driving, and you're constantly checking your emails and your texts. That's just for teenagers, you know, and uh, it gets even worse for adults. But it just goes to show that we just... Don't take the time. And, you know, when asked or or confronted about the time that we spend in spiritual things, the response is this. Look, I don't even have time for my family, let alone time for God. You know, so then the question becomes, well, then where does the Lord fit in? Where does he fit in? Where do you fit that portion of your life in? When, When is your time for prayer? When is your time for studying the scriptures? When do you have just a quiet time when you can be alone and reflect. The Bible calls it meditation. Just sitting and thinking and allowing the Spirit of God to speak to you. When is, when is that? You see, because this is so vitally important. The Christian life is more than just learning about God. And I think sometimes when you come to church and that's the way we approach 
the Christian life. I'm coming to learn about God, you know. And so you learn some more facts. But what you don't understand is that the Christian life is a supernatural walk with living uh, living and, and dynamic and commu- communicating God. He communicates with us. He desires to communicate with us. And we know all the facts. We know all the theology. We have it all straight. But very rarely do we just really enjoy the presence of God and spending time with him. If I had to boil it down, I would say this, that the whole goal of the Christian life is this, to hear God's voice and to do what he says, to hear it for yourself, what he's saying to you, and then to live accordingly. If we as Christians could do that, if we could accomplish that, just think how much better life would be for us if we could walk in that spirit and walk in that knowledge and understanding. Now, sadly to say, few Christians ever experience that. They rarely experience, at least on an ongoing basis, the intimacy that we're talking about. And here's the problem, because we're so busy. Now, there's a word for busyness in, in the Scriptures. It's called worldliness. You know, we often think of worldliness in terms of sinful things, but it's not really true. That's not what it is. Worldliness is when we let everything else in life get in the way of our spiritual life. We let all the problems and concerns and need for money and and time that pulls us away, you know, in other directions. We let all of those things interfere. Now, guys, I'm not saying that some of these things aren't vitally important in your life. Of course they are. But there needs to be that time that we set aside for the time alone with God, the time for prayer, the time for study, the time for meditating, as the Scripture says. You know, for if we're going to have intimacy with God, if that's really something that's important, then there's one non-negotiable, and that is time. You can't have it otherwise. You can't have that relationship if you don't set aside the time for it. Your family demands your time. Now think about this. If you are busy, whether you are the husband or the wife, if you are busy at work or busy with social activities or busy, busy doing other things, and you neglect your, your spouse and your children, that's only going to go so for so long because pretty soon they're going to demand your time. Well, God is no different. You see, God is no different because when it comes to you and me, there are many things that pull us away, many things that draw our attention and take up our time, but there comes a time where God says, that's enough, you know. You need to spend some time with me. I've got things to say to you. I've got things that I want to teach you. And you can't just keep going the way you're going and ignoring me. And that's what I'm afraid some of us do. And we call this the intimacy with God. That time where it's very special, where it's very personal. And it's that time that we spend alone with him. Now, this is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been talking on this series on prayer, and we've talked about what prayer is. We've talked about the importance of faith, what it means to trust the Lord no matter what, whether your prayer is seemingly answered the way you want it to be or not. It doesn't matter. You trust in the Lord because you're, you're looking to his character and trusting in him. We've talked about how to develop some good habits when it comes to prayer. We've talked about how to pray. We've talked about how that God wants to bless you. He really wants to bless you, something we don't always realize or, or understand. But we've also talked about the reasons why some prayers aren't answered, and we've talked about the armor of God. Last week we were talking about the armor of God and how that prayer is part of that. It's part of my armor or defense against 
the spiritual warfare that's taking place around me. Now today, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk to you about the importance of slowing down and listening to God. Slowing down and listening to God. Now there's two things here I'm going to talk to you about. The importance of listening, first of all, what does that mean and what does it look like? And the importance of slowing down to give time for that to happen. We may know what it means and what it looks like, but unless we devote the time to it, it's not going to happen. And so there's two things here, the slowing down and the listening. You know, I love to watch old movies. I love to watch especially old war movies. Now, I don't know what it is about World War II, but I love to watch old World War II movies. The ones with John Wayne in them and, and these guys, you know. And inevitably, you'll see a guy out in a foxhole somewhere, and he's get, being shot at from every direction. And he'll he'll be the sergeant in charge of his platoon, and, and the captain will be back at headquarters. And from time to time, the captain will call him up on his on his radio. Have you ever remember those radios? Those long, look like boxes with antennas. You hold it up to your ear. And usually they don't work, it seems like, in the heat of battle, but sometimes they do. And every now and then, the captain will have information about the enemy getting ready to surround them or having a counterattack and so forth. And so he'll call up his sergeant out there in the field, and the sergeant gets on. And what would you think now if this took place? The sergeant gets on the radio, and he begins immediately when he hears the captain's voice. He says, let me tell you something. He said, I've just about had it. He said, I've got troops that don't want to fight. They just want to lay around in the foxhole. They don't, they don't want to get up, and they don't want to go. He said, it is cold up here. We need some more uh heavy coats and so forth. We need some food. I'm tired of eating this mess that you keep sending us. The captain says, wait a minute, i got to talk to you. And the sergeant just keeps going. I need more supplies. And to top it off, I got a letter from home last week. My wife is getting ready to leave me. And I just want you to know, it is pretty miserable, and I'm tired of this. And the captain finally says to him, shut up and listen. And he stops. He said, I've got something important to tell you that's going to save your life if you'll just be quiet and listen. And so the sergeant is quiet, and he listens to what the captain is saying, and the captain informs him that, you know what, the enemy's creeping up on your side, and you're not watching. Now take care of this. And it saves his life and the lives of many others. Now listen to me, folks, because this is what happens to you and me. All we do is talk, talk, talk. Meaningless things that go on in life that we spend our time doing and busyness, and and God is saying, I need to talk to you. I've got something to say to you. I've got some instruction. I've got some guidance here. I've got something you need to hear that ultimately might save your life or keep your family from falling into into temptation and giving in. You need to be listening. And all we do is talk. Even in our prayer times sometimes when we're alone with God, to us prayer is just talking. The more we talk, the more we're praying. So we ask and ask and ask, and we'll sometimes throw some praises up there. But how often do you just sit and listen and let the captain speak? Listen to what he has to say. Because you know what? We struggle with understanding this, but we need to, we need to understand that God wants to communicate with you. God wants to speak to you. And like I said, prayer is more than speaking. There's a component to prayer that is called listening, or in Scripture it's referred to as meditating, where you just are silent and you listen to what the Lord would have you to say. Now, let me share with you something in regards to the listening part of it, okay? 
There are two ways. Now, this is interesting stuff. So I'm telling you that ahead of time so you wake up, okay? God communicates to us in two ways. Now, listen to this, okay? There are two Greek words in the Bible in the New Testament that are used and translated into English as W-O-R-D, word. Now, there may be others that are, are less popular, not as common, but these are the two most common. Now, I'm, I'm going to explain them to you because it's critical that you understand this. This makes all the difference in understanding God speaking to you, okay? The first one is logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. And basically what this is is simply the word of God. When it talks about this, it's talking about the word of God in a general context, when God speaks to the group, when God speaks to the world, the scripture that you hold in your hand is referred to in the New Testament as the Logos, the Word of God. It's God's message to the crowd. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses and he came down off the mountain, he held in his hand the Logos of God, the Word to the nation of Israel, the group, you see. Now, oftentimes then it is used in the context of a formal uh, sense or formal setting of the Word of God. The Bible is the probably the most common use for the word Logos. When Paul said to Timothy, preach the Word, he was saying, preach the Logos, preach the Bible. Preach and teach the Bible as it should be taught. Now, when God wants to speak to us, this is one common way that he speaks. The teaching of Scripture is so critical in our lives. And there needs to be some input uh, personal Bible study, prayer, I mean, Bible study groups, um, church, Sunday school, whatever, but you're taking in the, the Logos. Now, here's a couple of interesting scriptures, okay, that, where this word is used. Now, watch these. The first one is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the logos of truth, the word of truth. He's talking about the Bible. And he's saying to Timothy, you've got to study this so that you don't, you're not ashamed. You're not ashamed for how little you know of it, and you're able to take it and handle it and teach correctly and guide your people. And so there's an element of knowing the Scripture. This is one of the ways in which God speaks. Now, there's another verse here that uses the word logos. Listen to this one. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God, the logos, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, again, he's talking primarily about the Scripture. But the general giving of the word to mankind, he said, look, it's sharp. It does its job. It teaches, it guides, and so forth in a general sense. Now, here's the problem. We read things in the Bible that it says to us, okay, for example, to love one another. And that's a general command or instruction given to all of us, that we're to love one another. Now, how do you make that real in your life? How do you know when to look and, and to go after somebody that's hurting and to show love to them. How do you know that? 
You know, it's not in the Bible. It doesn't tell me. It doesn't say, Dave, when you go to work tomorrow, there's going to be somebody there that is really hurting and needs you to love them. Now be sure and do that. It doesn't say that. And so we're left to our own devices at times to know when and how and where to apply the logos of God. So now, with that understanding, you want to come to the second word that is used for W-O-R-D of God. And this is the one we want to camp on, okay? This is the one I want to talk to you about. Because this is the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. This is just a transliteration of, of the Greek word, rhema. Now, what is that one talking about? It's talking about the personal communication that God gives to you and me where his word comes to us personally. And this is where the word of God comes to you in a very specific, guiding way in which God says to you, he's saying to me, Dave, now this is what you're to preach on next week. Or, you know, impresses upon me that, Dave, this is how you're to go and deal with this problem or what have you. It's the personal guidance that is available to each one of us. It's the word of God coming to you personally. He didn't send that word to somebody else. He sent this word to you, you see. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. Because what God gave in a general sense to us through the Logos, God gives personally and individually through the Rhema. And so there's some scripture that, that, that kind of uh, give examples of this. Watch these scriptures, if you would. First one's in Luke chapter 3, verse 2. It's talking about John the Baptist. He says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, the rhema, came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, what it's saying is this, that John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, and the word of God came to him specifically. In other words, he's getting a message from the Lord that this is what he's supposed to do. And so he did it, you see. Now, here's another one. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. This is the situation where Jesus is out in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days, and now Satan comes to him to tempt him. Now, here's how he responds. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every uh, rhema or word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, watch this. Jesus is out there, and he's hungry, and he's weak, and Satan comes to him like he usually does at your weakest moment, and he says, look, he said, why are you doing this? This is foolishness. He said, you got the power to turn those stones into bread. Why don't you do that? And the reason he couldn't do it is because God the Father had told him not to. He didn't tell anybody else not to. He said, Jesus, go out into the wilderness for 40 days and fast and don't eat anything. So in response to what Satan says to him, Jesus answers this. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every rhema that God gives him. God had given to the Lord Jesus a rhema, a word that he was to obey. That's the reason he couldn't eat until the God the Father said to. Now, here's what's interesting. He quotes an Old Testament passage out of the Logos, the word. Now, here's what happens, okay? Many times you'll come across a teaching in Scripture, the Logos of God, and it's the Spirit of God that takes it and applies it to your life personally. He says, this is how you apply this. And when that happens, 
it now has become a word to you, a rhema. If that doesn't happen, then the Scripture continues to be foreign to us. It continues to be just a collection of writings that aren't really alive because it's in that personal application that God brings it to life for us. Now, here's the question. Or let me, let me say this, first of all, as a word of warning, okay? The rhema, when God speaks to you personally, gives you a word personally, never, now listen to this, it never contradicts the Logos. This is important for you to understand. There is a, there are groups of charismatics who claim that when God gives them a word and the Spirit impresses upon them some truth, that if it contradicts the Scriptures, then they go with that because that is superior to this. Well, first of all, if that takes place and you get a word from God that contradicts this, then you better question the word that's come to you because God doesn't get contradict or lead you astray from this. This is the guiding overall guiding concept right here. This guides everything, every thought, every emotion, everything that I have. I, go, I govern it by this. If it doesn't contradict it, then I'm to investigate this, that maybe God is speaking to me. Now, the question then becomes, okay, how does that happen? How do we receive this rhema, this, this message from God, this personal word? How does it happen? Well, it happens through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God will put ideas into your mind. We know we've talked before about the satanic powers around us that live around us. We don't understand it. We see it in Scripture. We don't fully comprehend it, but it happens. And how, it ha- how they have the ability to deal with us on a spiritual level through our emotions and our minds and so forth. Well, of course, the Spirit of God does that as well. The Spirit of God lives within every one of us that has put their faith in Jesus Christ. And because he lives there, he can change ideas, he can give us thoughts, he can change our feelings. Man, how many times have you, done, have you experienced that? You come, you're, you're battling with something or a decision that you have to make, and all of a sudden, I got an idea. Well, Shazam, where do you think that came from? You know? Goodness gracious. Or you're worried to death about something, and all of a sudden, it's as if that worry just goes away. And you say to yourself, I don't know what happened. Well, I do. You know, God has come through the Spirit that's in you to deal with you, to give you a word of encouragement. He comforts us when we're afraid. He assures us when we have doubts. He warns us when things are impending doom. How many times? You know, I've heard my wife say this. I I was going to go to this house and to, to, to look at this house, and I just in my spirit didn't go in there. You know, you know. How do you know that? Because the Spirit of God has given you the word. He has said to you, this is what God says. Don't do this. It's dangerous. Now, I'm not talking about God speaking to you audibly. Now, he did that in the Old Testament. What happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament that God doesn't do that? Well, the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, the Spirit didn't live inside of the people, but in the New Testament, he does. In the Old Testament, God had to communicate audibly in the New Testament he doesn't because the Spirit of God lives in you. 
This is hard for us to comprehend, this process, okay? But the Spirit of God lives there. God put him there for a purpose. Now listen to these scriptures because it's simply talking about the Spirit of God indwelling you and why he does that. Now I'm going to talk above the rain, so just listen, okay? In John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. And Jesus is speaking. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now he's telling them, I'm leaving, to help you and to be with you forever. Now let's stop there for a moment at verse 16. I'm going to ask God, the Father, he'll give you another advocate, a comforter, somebody to be there to instruct you. And what he will do is he will help you and be with you for how long? Forever. For as long as you live as a believer... Until God calls you home, the Spirit of God indwells you and will guide you and direct you. Look at verse 17. He says, The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him because it, is, it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Let's just stop there. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Spirit of God to give you the Word of God on a regular basis and to guide you. And He's going to be with you and He's going to be in you. And at Pentecost, that happened. The indwelling of the Spirit took place. Listen to this one in verse 26, same chapter, John 14. He goes on to say, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now look at that. Spirit's coming. He's going to indwell you guys. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to teach you everything you need to know. How does that happen? Father tells the Spirit and the Spirit conveys to you through the rhema what it is that God wants. John chapter 16, look at these two verses in 13 and 14. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Now get this, okay? Don't, don't let this go by you. The Spirit of God living in you is the channel through which God the Father, the Lord Jesus too, convey to you the rhema, the word, how you're to live, decisions you're to make, what you're supposed to do, that sort of thing, through the promptings, we call them, of the Holy Spirit. You see, here, here, here's where the problem becomes or becomes a problem, I guess, is because we're not listening. See, that's our problem. We don't listen. Why are these promptings so vital? That's the question. Why are they really all that important? All right, let me sh- share with you a couple of reasons, okay? Here's the number one, or not the number one, but a big reason, okay? Without the Spirit of God prompting people, and this is for all people, you can never be saved, Did you know that? That without the Spirit of God working in you, 
before you were even saved, he was conveying to you these messages. Without that happening, you could never, ever be saved. Now listen to this. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus is speaking and he says this, No one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Nobody is going to come to me unless the Spirit of God begins to work in him through promptings to bring him to a place of faith. Now, you let me ask you this question. When you came to Christ, think about the circumstances, okay? How long had you heard the message of salvation before you responded? How long did the Spirit of God tug at your heart and convince you that you were a sinner, make you feel guilty, and give you the encouragement to respond to this? How long did you feel sorry for your sins and feel the need to respond before you finally just surrendered to what you were feeling, you see? That's the Spirit of God drawing you. This is why, for one reason, it's so important that the Spirit of God does this in the hearts and the lives of people, because without it, the person would have never come to Christ. Here's another reason that's given in Scripture, is that is the reassurance when you need it. There will be many times in your life where you'll doubt your salvation. Many times when you will begin to question, when, when Satan comes to you and begins to say, hey, wait a minute, you're not a real Christian, look at what you did. He'll say to you, a real Christian wouldn't have done that. A real Christian wouldn't do this and wouldn't do that. He wouldn't act like this. And begin, and pretty soon you begin to believe it. And pretty soon you begin to doubt God's love for you. You begin to doubt your salvation. And look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans eight sixteen says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. The Spirit himself. When you begin to doubt, what's the work of the Spirit? What is the rhema that comes to you? The word from God that comes to you, that you feel in your heart when you begin to doubt. It's God saying to you, you're my child. Don't you doubt that. You are mine. And it doesn't matter about all the other mess in your life. You're mine. And we have a tendency to doubt that. But it's through my Spirit. And I don't know how this happens. I'm just being honest with you here, okay? That the Spirit of God that lives in me is communicating with my spirit and I don't know what's going on there. But all of a sudden I begin to change emotionally. I begin to change and feel differently inwardly. I begin to have ideas I've never had before and thoughts that come into my mind I've never had before. And life begins to change. This is why it's so important. Because this is where change begins. Now, there's another reason why this is important. Let me give you this last one. And that is because of spiritual growth and maturity. That if the rhema didn't come, if the word from God didn't come to me as a believer, then I'm not going to be growing and changing as a, as a believer. Listen to this verse. It's in John chapter 15. This is a, a, a popular chapter. You all know this. In John chapter 15, verse 7. Listen to this. He says, if you remain in me... And my words, Rhema, remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now look at this, okay? Don't miss this. If you remain in fellowship with me, continue walking with me, continue trusting me, continue seeking after me. He said in my word, the word that comes from God the Father through me, the Spirit, to you. 
the things that I say to you individually and personally that you are to do and the way you're to live, if you continue in that, he said, then ask whatever you want. Now, you tell me why it's important that you and I be attuned to this idea that the word comes to me personally. Because this is how I'm to walk every day. When Paul talked about, you know, you walk in the spirit. Every day you live in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. When the Word of God, the rhema, comes to me personally and says to me, do this and and go there, and I'm sensitive to that and I'm obedient to that, then I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm walking with God in fellowship with Him. And God says, now you can ask whatever you want. Ask it. Guys, this is why it's so important that we understand this, that the Christian life is not just learning about God. It's not just learning about the Bible. But it's having a relationship. It's having a relationship whereby we are open and and listening to the communication that God brings to us. Now listen, there are two extreme positions that people take on this that are both wrong. Call them two misguided approaches to this work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Listen to this. Number one is where your understanding of this leads you to irresponsibility. What I mean by that is, you know, you look in the scriptures and, and you, you see what we're supposed to be doing as a Christian. And I've heard this numerous times. People are living in something that was questionable or sinful, and their response is this. Well, I, I don't feel led to do that. Hmm. Remember what I said? The leading of the Spirit is never contrary to Scripture. So sometimes we say we don't feel led. We use it as an excuse. An example, you've ever heard the old joke about the preacher who never studied, he never prepared, he just trusted God. He said, I'm going to get up on Sunday morning and just speak, and whatever God says is what comes out. And I guess he forgot that passage in 2 Timothy 2.15 where Paul says to Timothy, study, study to show yourself approved so that you're not ashamed a workman that can rightly divide the Word of God. Irresponsibility, you see. Now, we're not taking away from the truth that God speaks, but we're saying that God also says to show some responsibility. Sometimes we as Christians take this attitude that I'm just going to let go and let God, I'm just going to put my hands in my pocket, my brains in a drawer somewhere, and just live life floating through life and and that's an extreme position that's not really biblical so that's the first extreme here's the other side of the coin okay and that is where we don't believe anything is supernatural it's called the anti-supernatural position i guess we look at the holy spirit as being mystical Ooh, now you're getting off into that mystical stuff when we talk about the leading of the spirit oh we don't talk about that we're just living on the word you know, and, that, and that, that is great. But if you discount the rhema that comes to you personally, then how are you going to be obedient to the word? You get off into legalism is what happens. When you cut the spirit out, your only thing you're left with is a rigid legalistic approach to the Christian, to Christianity and to the Bible. And so we take that approach that, well, we just, we don't understand it, so we're not going to, uh, we're going to resist it. You know, we just don't believe in the prompting of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit. That's just too much talk about the Spirit. We're not going to talk about that. Let's just talk about sucking it up and being a good Christian. 
You know what a shame? Because you have just cut your Christian life in two. You've chosen to live by the Logos and neglected the Rhema. And you're not really going to do a good job doing that without both of them together because you need them both. And so, you know, we talk about this and we look at this teaching and what it comes down to then in the end is this. And here's where I I want to make some application and bring this to a close, okay? You and I have to be still and listen. You know, the rhema comes to us when we're quiet, when we're alone with God, when we're meditating on the truth of Scripture. You can be reading a passage of Scripture and you see something in there and all of a sudden the Spirit takes it. He says, now here's a word for you. Here's what God says to do with this. And when I do, my life changes. But I'm not going to ever see it or hear it if I don't sit still long enough to listen. And so, guys, here's my challenge is that for all of us, that we readjust our lives. We readjust our schedules. We readjust our priorities. We do whatever it takes so that I have in my life not only the time that I pray and study the Scripture, but a part of my prayer life is the quietness before God. And I invite God to speak, not audibly. He doesn't communicate with us that way. But I invite God to give me the rhema. And before it ever comes, now listen, this is so important. Before it ever comes, I tell God this. Whatever you say to me, I will do. You look at all the great examples of Scripture. And these men, and, and they and they. They said to God, Lord, I'm here. Speak. Show me what you want. And when we approach our, our time alone with God with that attitude, that, Lord, I am open, been bare before you, and you tell me what, and I will move. Give me the rhema. Now, guys, I can remember in my life, you know, there have been times in my life where I have done that. And usually it was when major events were taking place where I was scared to move, to go to Bible college or seminary and haul my family across the United States, go into ministry, all these things. Where you just about have to get to the point where you say to God, I ask nothing. Just speak. I'll do it. I surrender. You see, We get so busy, we don't take time for that. And we wonder why the Bible is dry. I've heard that expression, the Bible is just so dry. Well, you know what it is? You cut the rhema out of your life. You're hearing the teaching of the Logos, but you're not listening to the Spirit to try to apply it to your life. Nothing's changing for you. And so you've got to enter this with the idea, the 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 thought that, God, you tell me and I'll obey first before you ever hear what he's got to say. I'm open. Just speak. And here's what I know that you're going to discover, okay? When you're in your prayer time and you begin to do that, you're going to be flooded with ideas, thoughts, 
guidance. You're going to have problems you take before the Lord, and all of a sudden you're going to think, oh, man, now I see. This is what I should have done to start with. And you think to yourself, you're so smart. You're going to think it. You're going to think, man, I'm so wise. And all the time it's going to be the rhema of God coming to you and you listening. My friend, all I'm asking you to do is set aside the time to listen. I know that God will do his part. He does, he does it all the time. I'm just asking you to be alone with God long enough to hear and to cut out all the distractions. And say, It's going to mean some alterations in your life. It's going to mean that you you have to do some things differently. Maybe you won't be able to do things the way you've always done them. But, but just do it and expect God to speak. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, let me read you this verse, okay? If you're sitting here this morning, and just everybody sit quietly, okay? And you, if I asked you if you were to die, would go to heaven, you think to yourself, I don't know. Let me read you this verse, okay? Really two verses. In Acts 13, verses 38 through 39, listen to what it says. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Hmm. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Now, justification means that you're declared righteous, you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you're free. Now, here's what he's saying. He says, through Jesus, when you put your faith in him, he even says that. He says, when you believe... He says, the forgiveness of sins comes to you, and you are set free from every sin. You're being set free from the guilt of every sin, is what he's saying. You're totally forgiven. And he's comparing now. He's saying, now this is grace, total forgiveness, cleansing. It's a gift of God. And it's something that you could not ever have under the law of Moses. Ten Commandments won't save you, folks. The law of the Old Testament, the law of the Jews, everything you see there is not going to save you. You think you might be able to do it, but you can't. But what you do need to do is turn to him in faith and to believe that he died for you. To believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, paid for them, and was resurrected. And that by believing, you have eternal life. Faith is believing that he's done it. It's depending on it. It's having confidence in it. It's saying to God, this is what I stand on. This is how why I have eternal life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ like this, then, then do it today. He's made it so simple for you. And maybe right now the Spirit of God is dealing with you, convincing you that you are a sinner and you need this. What's holding you back? Just turn to him in faith and to believe that he did it for you. That's that simple. I want to lead you in a prayer. And the prayer doesn't save you, but hopefully it reflects what's in your heart. And it just goes like this. You can follow along if you'd like in your own heart. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have failed you. But I believe what the Bible says. Jesus died on a cross for me. 
in him I can have forgiveness. And Lord, I'm taking it right now. I'm accepting your gift. Thank you, Father, for loving me that much. If you have done that this morning, I'm not going to have you come forward, but I just want to pray for you at the end of the service. Just lift your hand up and put it back down. Pastor, you can pray for me. I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm trusting Him today. Lord, I'm turning to Him. Anyone at all. For the rest of us, now listen. What is the rhema that God is giving to you? Right now, the Spirit of God perhaps is talking to you and He's saying to you there's something that needs to change. Something that needs to be done. Something that needs your attention. It is as if the Spirit of God is screaming in your spirit. The fire is burning in your soul. What is it? Maybe it's your marriage needs to be worked on. Your family needs some attention. Maybe it's somebody that God wants you to speak to. Perhaps something just needs to change the simple in your life. Whatever it is, you now have a choice. Will you obey the word that God is giving to you? Will you obey? I pray that you do. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here this morning, Father, we thank you for your word, the Logos, and Father, we thank you for the Spirit that lives within us, this wonderful gift that you have given us. And Father, we thank you for the word that comes to us personally, the instruction that the Spirit gives us that comes from you. Father, may we be sensitive to that. May we seek that. May we be obedient to that. Father, may we grow the way you want us to grow. In Jesus' name we pray.